You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Welcome to Thrive. It's good to have you here today. And I'm excited. We are starting a new series called Vulnerability. Um, And it's really an exploration of this vulnerable, emotional letter that Paul wrote called 2 Corinthians. But in some ways, it's actually 3 Corinthians. I don't know if you realize that, but we lost a letter. Between 1 Corinthians and this letter, there's another letter he refers to that got to this church. And in some ways, it might be good that we lost it because it was kind of the harsh letter. (laughs) There's enough harshness in any of Paul's writings, let alone one that kind of really gave it to this church out of love. Okay, out of love, but he did. So today, um, we're looking at this letter of 2 Corinthians for about eight weeks. We're going to not get through all of it, but we're going to kind of wrap the series around a word called vulnerability. How many of you like this word, vulnerability? Do you like being vulnerable? No. Yeah, Uh, nobody does. And yet, if you're not vulnerable, we've got problems. And we'll talk about that. Why It's so important to have some vulnerability and how that fits in with not just Paul's ministry, but with being a follower of Jesus and the God who shows his vulnerability to us. Okay? So that's kind of the overall theme. And it's in contrast, I think, uh, not only to our culture, but to the Greco-Roman culture that the Corinthians were used to. Okay, And so when you study a book like any book in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, any, any ancient literature, actually, you have to ask the question, so when they read this the first time, the people who read this the first time, what did they get out of it? And in order to do that, that's called hermeneutics, by the way. Uh, in order to do that, you have to kind of understand what they were thinking in the first place. Okay. And um, so you have to understand the kind of the background. And the Corinthians thought of themselves pretty highly. If you read through 1 Corinthians, they were kind of full of themselves (laughs) in in every way that you can imagine. And uh, the Greco-Roman world kind of wanted that kind of life. In fact, they kind of valued being full of yourself, being full of the idea of finding as much status as you can, as much honor as you can, as much wisdom as you can, talking about your victories and your successes and winning and having the good life. Because the big problem in life, they said, was change. That is, why does everything fall apart? Have you ever asked that question? Dick, you might be asking that question at, uh, with your birthday. And, you know, um, I'm asking that question at my age. It's like, why is everything falling apart? You know? <laughs> Even as a child, I was asking, why can't my clothes fold themselves up and put themselves away? You know? Why can't Mary Poppins be true? <laughs> you ever seen that where she magically it all happens, right? Um, Why does everything fall apart? Why does everything change? Why does everything decay? That was the main problem the Greco-Roman world looked at. And then they said, yeah, this world is filled with that. But the gods, and they had many multiple gods, they don't decay. They don't fall apart. Things don't change for them. And 
there. If you notice, if you ever study the Greco-Roman world and mythology, any of you do that anymore? Yeah, you did a little of that. Um, the gods, how would you describe the gods, Kevin? Yeah, so they're human beings, but in a sense. But what do they got? Superpowers, much like a lot of our hero movies today. The only difference between um, these gods and humans is that they are immortal, invincible, immutable, and yes, invulnerable. They don't change. And that's what everybody wanted. And in fact, the Corinthians as well bought into this. They basically said if God, if, if human means being fallible and, 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 and not just imperfect, but also things fall apart and are broken and don't go the way we want, God must have everything his way. And he must be all powerful and immovable and immortal, of course, and invulnerable and unable to change. That's what everybody wanted. And Paul says, that's not the God of the Bible. He's not, Im yes, he's immutable. He can get his way. But God freely chooses to be vulnerable. And it makes all the difference. I think it makes all the difference of why we're here and why, um, why Christianity stands out among all the world religions. Now, you might still wonder, why do we need to study vulnerability? Why is this important? Nobody likes it. Nobody wants to be vulnerable. We kind of want to keep our guard up as much as we can. We don't like the idea because it feels weak. And I then become, quote, dependent on others. And that's the last thing in our society we want to do. But if I am not vulnerable, I am not open. And if I am not open to others, this is where C.S. Lewis takes things. I really like this quote from his book, The Four Loves. He says, to love is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will be wrong and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Blah. To love is to be vulnerable. So why we're talking about this series is the fact that the full life, the good life, the real life, the life of followers of Jesus, the life God gave to us is a life of openness and vulnerability and love. And if you aren't vulnerable, you won't have that. Now, Honestly, it would have been much easier for Paul to just write off the Corinthian church. You know, I wrote two letters to them. Give it up, man. They're done. I'm done with them. He could have spent much more time on a church like Philippi that was so responsive. And if you read his letter to the Philippians, they don't really have any problems. He doesn't talk about problems in this letter, but he thanks them again and again and talks about joy in the midst of suffering. 
That's the whole letter. It's like, what? Yeah. Or he could have talked to the Thessalonians. And if you read Thessalonians, yeah, they had a couple problems, but they're teachable. And they were really sincere. Or, and we don't have a letter to the Bereans, but if you read in the book of Acts, they were really serious about studying God's word. And it makes sense to write them a letter because he'd get a good positive woo, response. And everybody would be, woo, Paul, you're awesome and amazing. He got the most support ever from the Philippians. But we only got one short letter there. We've got two long letters. We should have three. We've lost one. We, you know, like I said, it might be good. <laughs> but um, why does he spend so much time? What does he open up? And in this letter, you will find him the most emotional, the most unguarded, the most frank, the most honest, and, um, and um, making such an appeal. And it all comes down to that word that he loved these Corinthians. He loved them. And so we get this letter. It starts now. We're going to just go like one section of each uh, of eight of the different chapters of like a letter that has 13 chapters. So we're not covering it all. But we're going to start in chapter 1 because I think it comes up with one of the main themes here. And you can follow along, by the way, in the U version of the Bible app, these notes if you would like, okay? But we're going to start reading in uh, chapter 1, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 11. Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So today, to kind of start out this theme, we're not going to look at the word vulnerability directly, but I think we're talking about it. We're going to look at the word comfort that came up many times in this passage. So we're going to talk, first of all, about what comfort is not, okay? Um, then what it is according to this passage. And then finally, how do you have the power to comfort others, to give comfort out? But what it's not, now, when I say the word comfort, what comes to your mind? Let's say comfort food. Name a comfort food for you. Macaroni and cheese. Macaroni and cheese. Anybody else? Pizza. French fries, pizza, chocolate, chocolate. corn dogs. Why are they comfort foods? Because they're healthy for you? Because they're a good, balanced, nutritional meal? Most likely, 
They're nostalgic. You can recall a time as a child when you were fed such a meal and it just meant like, and for a lot of families, food equals love, by the way. And it's not a bad thing because you are, you know, but yeah, my comfort foods are spaghetti and meatballs, spare ribs, okay, mashed potatoes with lots of butter and gravy. Yeah. Um, and so there, comfort becomes something that makes me feel good inside. And notice we've already just talked about stuff makes us comfortable. Um, when you seek comfort, what are you actually seeking, though? That is a good question. And I'd say the majority of people are looking for a comfortable life today, right? What do they mean by that? Can you tell me some things that that means? What? No debt. No debt. So money. Anything else? Easy. So a job that you enjoy all the time, no stress, no conflict. Anything else? Low maintenance. Like somebody else is taking care of everything. Right? So money. Probably power and affluence and influence and a lot of people that enjoy you, a lot of vacation, a lot of fun, a lot of enjoyment things, right? Basically, if you won the lottery, the mega millions, and you got a billion dollars, you expect you're going to get a billion ways for, to have comfort. I don't know if you've known that about um, a lot of lottery winners. They don't find a lot of comfort. They find a lot of heartache and, in, in fact, bankruptcy, and some end up in jail. I know <laughs> the lottery's never going to tell you that. You've got to look that up. But you'll find it doesn't give you what you think. We think also less work, more, less stress, more pleasure, easier, faster, enjoyable, laughs and giggles, happiness. Um, and I'm not against being comfortable, okay? In fact, there are some things that you better be sure of. If you are exercising and it's painful all the time, you might need to stop that exercise, okay? And I know, I, but if you're in physical therapy and the physical ther therapist says keep doing it, okay, that may, it is physical torture. I know. It can be painful after you've had, but there's a point where pain is not good. And there is also a point where if you're in an uncomfortable situation because you are um, being abused or bullied or all of those things, I'm not saying you better stay there. Not at all. So there's an idea of comfort, but at the, at the same time, like that example with a physical therapist, avoiding pain at all costs Avoiding discomfort in all situations actually doesn't lead to a comfortable life. I don't know if you know this about the word. So comfort, the etymology is very fascinating. And I think it does fit in with the Greek word we'll, we'll get in later. So it comes from come and fort. You can take this apart. So come means come alongside of. And fort is to like fortify or strengthen. So the actual word means that someone comes alongside of you, a friend, and encourages and fortifies, strengthens you along the way. It has nothing to do with ease. It has so much to do with company, community. And yet, I think when people are looking for a comfortable life, they think of money and toys. 
and medications, <laughs> legal and illegal. No life, no challenges. It reminds me, any of you, how many of you saw the movie WALL-E? This is an animated feature where everybody gets to a point, and I think we've got this picture here, gets to a point where um, they are so comfortable that everything is given them, they are now laying down all the time with a TV screen in front of them and getting any drinks that they want. And yet, if you notice in this movie, they are isolated and lonely and lost and purposeless. Hmm, interesting. So um, a clinical psychologist and a theologian wrote it this way. He said, Craig Lonsbro, he said, to take the easy way is to walk a path that doesn't exist to the edge of a cliff that does. And he basically also says later on, Lonsbro says that a life uh, it's one of the greatest fictions that America has ever come up with, is the comfortable life that everybody's supposed to have. And there's a lot of irony to this. I think we've seen this over the last few years. This is a generation, this is a time for everybody across all the generations that more people um, have faced trying to have a comfortable, easy, fun life and yet are more depressed, lonely, and isolated and anxious at the same exact time. And why is this? Um, Jonathan Haidt and Greg uh, Lukanoff, in a book called The Coddling of the American Mind, they, they cite a number of studies. And in this book, they said there's only one, uh, two things that are directly correlated to feelings, uh, two activities that human beings do that we can find direct correlation to depression and even suicidal thoughts. Do you know what they are? Watching TV and being in front of a screen or a laptop all the time. Wow, right? But now they say, on the other hand, there are five activities that can be directly correlated with feeling better and doing better and not being as depressed. And they are these. Exercise and team sports, attending religious services, reading books, in-person social interactions, and doing homework. So you can, parents, you can tell your kids you're just comforting them and bringing them comfort by getting them to do their homework. But do you notice what these have in common? Purpose and community. That's exactly what the word comfort means, to be fortified by being in community. Now, before I diss any of the younger generations, you know, um, this is one thing that Jonathan Haidt also says in his book, The Coddling of the American Mind. He says, each generation tends to see the one after it as weak, whiny, and lacking in resilience. Have you ever felt that way about those younger people? Maybe your own kids, or grandkids, or neighbor's kids. We always think, well, they've just got it too easy. When I was a child, and we think all they need to do is suck it up, buck up, and do better, right? That is not necessarily the answer. Um, but the Bible is very clear about this whole idea of comfort. We're getting this in this text. This is still the what is not section, okay? We're going to get there. But Jesus says directly that you're not going to have a comfortable life, even though you have comfort from God. He says this 
to his very disciples in the night he's going to be betrayed. He says in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Nobody gets a smooth ride. There is nobody who has a really comfortable life all the time. I envy too many people who I go, oh man, if I just had all that, if I just had that, then it's not true. That's a fiction. Thank you, Madison Avenue, for continually dangling in front of us the one thing that's going to give you the, this will give you the, exactly what, you, and it never does. So Paul in 2 Corinthians, he does want to give comfort to this church. But the real thing, the real deal, not comfortability, but comfort to come alongside of them, to fortify them. He wants to give them assurance of God's presence, not safety. The Christian life is not safe. You are saved, but not safe. To give encouragement not fun and games, to give purpose, not simply pleasure. And so let's look at what comfort actually is. And Paul writes it here. It comes up again and again in 2 Corinthians, right away at the beginning of this letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now you can understand why I'm focusing on comfort. It comes up like I don't know how many times just in these sentences, let alone the whole text that we look at. Um, the word comfort here is very similar to the uh, English word in the sense of what it means, and it's the word parakaleo. Para, for parallel, to come alongside and be in line with. And kaleo is the Greek word for to call, to speak to. And in other words, Paul is saying the God of comfort is the God who comes alongside of you. He doesn't hover over you. He doesn't speak down to you. He comes alongside of you. He doesn't just lead out in front and yell back to you. He comes alongside of you wherever you happen to be, and then he speaks to you. He calls to you. He encourages you. Comfort means that. It's not that life is running smoothly. It's the fact that during the hard times of life, God is right there by your side. When the difficulties are there, you are not alone. What I noticed with students just over the last couple of years and through COVID for a lot of people online or in person, this online learning didn't work so well. And the one reason it didn't is because they were alone in their room in front of a screen and they felt so alone. Human being, that's what, what, what do we say here at, at Thrive? What, you know, we started a while. It's all about relationships. I know it sounds so trite, but it's so true. It's all about relationships. It's all about being community. This is a place where you belong. We all need that. We, we had a huge mass experiment in everybody being isolated for a while to just find out exactly how detrimental that is. We were all in solitary confinement. 
<sighs> and I don't care how much fun and pleasure and um, shows you watched or entertaining things, I don't care what you tried to do to medicate yourself through it. Though the stuff didn't do it. Come alongside and be fortified. That's why I, I'm glad we probably got a few people online this morning. I'm glad we have that. But there's nothing to, there's no substitute for coming together in community. Why we do hangouts, it's not because we just, I like to party. Yeah, I do. I like to have parties. I like to host. But it's really because it is who we are. It is who we are and what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be that kind of family. Um, so, okay, back to the text, right? <laughs> so it's not about life running smoother. Um, and the Corinthians just had this really bizarre, if you read through letter of 1 Corinthians 2, they had this bizarre understanding that life was all about knowledge and about my success and knowing. And the more I know, the more I am self-contained, the more I am elevated above others, the better off I am. And Paul is saying, that is not at all what Jesus is about. That is not what God has set you up as a human being to be. And later on in this letter, we'll find out Paul is um, really frustrated with the Corinthians that they have accepted these super apostles, is the term that he uses, for these itinerant um, these itinerant preachers that have come in and charge a fee and talk about success and winning and motivationally speaking and about their spiritual experiences and ecstatic whatevers and how wonderful and great they are because they're powerful and together and compared to Paul who's weak and he's... <laughs> He's, he's poor, and he's, 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 he's faced all this stuff. You want to be like that? Are you kidding me? No, God is a rich God. God is a powerful God. God is a winning God. God, the victory of Jesus over the grave and death means that you can live a life where you can be a champion every day of your life. And they bought it. And Paul says the real God of comfort this is the phrase, the simple phrase, who comforts us in all our affliction. He doesn't comfort us in all our winning success. Um, and we all face affliction. Okay? Just living is filled with dissatisfactions. You don't have to have a terrible diagnosis or some tragedy happen. You have afflictions. You don't have to be a certain age before they start. There is a sense that there's something missing in each one of us. St. Augustine, Augustine said there's a hole. There's, we are restless. We're dissatisfied until we find our rest in God. That and God is the one who comes to fill that hole, to come alongside of us, to be with us, to share in our son. And Paul goes on. Comfort happens then, always in the midst of struggle. Comfort doesn't happen when everything's just wonderful. You don't just experience comfort. Oh, I'm feeling comfort. I get comfort in difficult times. And that's what I really need. 
Paul goes on and says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And we're going to see this is a key understanding. Paul reframes the whole idea of what it means to find comfort and then how to give comfort because he reframes experiences in our lives and says God is in the middle of them all and not just watching but alongside of us in the middle of it. And Paul knows what it means to face afflictions. I mean, he suffered a lot. You know, jailed countless times, flogged, stoned, shipwrecked, ridiculed, ostracized, chastised, facing hunger and loneliness. And you see um, in this letter, he talks about in Asia, they faced to the point where they were despairing of life itself. And yet right then is where God gave them the comfort that they needed. And then he asks for prayers and he opens up himself to the people who have walked away from him time and again in Corinthians and says, hey, I need your prayers. Tell me, how do you grow? Really? I mean, I grow when I don't want to grow. But how do you grow in empathy? How do you grow in humility or in sympathy or in understanding or in wisdom? How do you grow in being a human being? Is it by just downloading <laughs> some formula off the internet? Is it by watching? Is it by um, reading or just gaining information? No. It's by going through stuff. It's by experiencing it, by being open up to others. That's why Jonathan Haidt, um, he writes something pretty counterintuitive to our culture these days. He said it this way, from time to time in the years to come, and I think he's talking to um, college students, but I think it could be any of us. From time to time in years to come, I hope you will be treated unfairly so that you will come to know the value of justice. I hope that you will suffer betrayal because that will teach you the importance of loyalty. Sorry to say, I hope you will be lonely from time to time so that you don't take friends for granted. I hope you'll be ignored so you know the importance of listening to others. And I hope you will have just enough pain to learn compassion. Whether I wish these things or not, they're going to happen. And whether you benefit from them or not will depend upon your ability to see the message in your misfortunes. And I believe that's where our third point comes here. The power to give comfort is because Paul sees, he reframes our misfortunes and shows us how they are attached to the God of all compassion and comfort. Um, so this passage, again, and why I'm out of order right now on slides, go back to this one, 2 Corinthians 1, 5, where, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. That was like two or three back. Did you find it? Sorry, I know. Yeah, Paul is reframing it. Paul is saying, God connects you to Jesus and his sufferings. And whenever you're going through some difficult time, guess who's right there suffering alongside of you, being with you? It's not that you have to make up for what Jesus didn't do on the cross. That's not what he's saying here. He is saying you've got a God who is so identified with you, whatever you're going through is what Jesus is feeling at the moment too. 
This goes so against the Greco-Roman world of understanding the immutability and invincibility of a god or goddess at the time who's above it all and beyond it all and can't feel anything really or change. And we have instead in the work of the Bible, God is unchangeable in his faithfulness to you, but he actually um, modifies or changes or makes a di- he comes alongside of us and bears with us. You will find in the Gospels, as well as all the way back from the Garden of Eden, a God who opens himself up to relationship with human beings, who would set up not to make them fall, but who sets himself up to the tragedy of Adam and Eve, giving him, honestly, the finger in the garden, wanting to do it their way who sets himself up by covenanting with a people who cannot be faithful, the people of Israel, who calls people like Abraham, who is kind of a little iffy with his wife Sarah at times, who then deals with Isaac and Jacob, who's a trickster, and then Israel itself, who when God is absolutely saving them and covenanting with them and making them his people at Mount Sinai, they are rejecting him and worshiping idols right at the foot of that mountain. And then all through the Old Testament, you will find God continue to be faithful to his promises, but accommodate his people time and again to give them what they need, to bear them up, he says, on eagles' wings, to carry them, to put up with their sufferings, to agonize over them time and again. And then finally, to fulfill all his promises by becoming a vulnerable human being a little baby who can't take care of himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Is that amazing? And then is open to our hurts and agonies and needs who feels <laughs> who feels and experiences hunger and loneliness and betrayal and deprivation all the way through his whole life and who loves and loves and loves and it gets frustrated with his disciples as we saw in simply Jesus in the series in the Gospel of Mark. William Placker in his book, um, Narratives of a Vulnerable God, says this, to read the biblical narratives is to encounter a God who is, first of all, love. And love involves a willingness to put oneself at risk. And God is, in fact, vulnerable in love, vulnerable even to great suffering. What do you think the cross is? God exposing himself in Jesus Christ be absolutely open to the absolute worst that we could ever throw at him and still loving us anyways. That's the definition of vulnerability to beyond anything I could ever do. So it's not simply that Jesus went through that then and is now done with it and walks away and says, yeah, I kind of went through that. I'm not doing that anymore. Paul says in this passage that he, the sufferings you are going through are the sufferings of Christ, that Christ is suffering with you. So that word parakaleo, um, we actually, it's used a number of times in the New Testament. Jesus is called the parakaleo, the paraclete, the advocate. He's the one who intercedes for us. And the Holy Spirit is called in the Gospel of John by Jesus himself, the paraclete, the comforter, who will come and remind us of everything that Jesus ever did and said. 
Time and again, we have a God, a triune God, who comes to us with all grace and compassion and walks beside us and lives within us. In fact, to such a profound extent that in the book of Romans, chapter 8, Paul will say, when you don't have words for what you're going through, the Holy Spirit will groan because he feels it more with something deeper than words and will intercede and be your paraclete. You are comforted and therefore you can comfort others. You can come alongside of them. You don't have to say anything necessarily. You don't have to do anything. The thing most people want is just to be listened to and how little we do. And the politicization of everything, as you all know, in our culture right now, what's really happening is everybody's telling everybody else, and nobody's listening. We're being invulnerable. We're setting up our armor, and we expect somebody else to take theirs down. <laughs> no wonder nothing's. You're never going to have friendships. You're not going to have relationships with that. Now, it might be more appealing to go to, I don't know, there's probably churches that um, talk about winning and succeeding and um, becoming that champion and being a better you every day and how you're going to overcome and be victorious and rich and wealthy and prosperous. I think it's such, uh, I just can't because that's not who we see. It just seems so out of line with what God has done in Jesus Christ. It's so out of line with what Paul's talking about here. I think William Placker says it well. He says, if God becomes human in just this way in Jesus, then that tells something about how we might seek our own fullest humanity. Not in quests of power and wealth and fame, but in service, solidarity with the despised and rejected and the willingness to be vulnerable in love. It's really all about relationships. It's really all about God's love for us and our love for each other. Right? So this is the beginning of the series. Stick with us. It's maybe we're going to feel a little uncomfortable through this. But what I'm praying for is that we have an even deeper community here. And we have a deeper expression of who Jesus wants us to be and how he opens himself up to us and we to each other. That's the real comfort that comes from our God. Let's pray. Lord God, Thank you so much for your work. Uh, for, uh, uh, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you used Paul in such a way that he was open to a church that was so difficult, <laughs> the Corinthians, because it gives us a lot of comfort. Thank you, Lord, how you worked in his life as an example of how we can be. But thank you more, Lord Jesus, that you are the God of all comfort and the God of all mercies and compassion, that you came alongside of us in our deepest needs. You didn't shy away when it became very difficult, but you went through hell in order to give us heaven. Lord Jesus, we pray that this series would be such that we grow in our openness, in our wholeheartedness of living fully as your people 
and reaching to those who so need that kind of comfort these days. You know how lonely we've been over the last few years, how lonely so many people are right now, and how they've been seeking comfort in all the wrong ways and in all the wrong places. We pray, Lord, that you would use us to bring comfort in the midst of affliction, mercy in the midst of this world. We thank you this day and celebrate with uh, Dick in 80 years of your grace in his life. We pray for many more. We thank you that his family was able to gather together with him and to celebrate it too, Lord. And we pray that you would um, bless him and all of us in our friendships and relationships here. We lift up to you, O oh Lord, um, uh, this coming school year. Students in Alachua County go back soon. We pray that you'd be with all the teachers and administrators who've already been back in the classroom, already been preparing. We pray this is a year of deeper community as well as deeper learning. We lift up to you FGCU and all of uh, the new students and the returning students who are coming there in just a matter of two weeks. We pray, Lord God, that you would just be working amazing and mightily this year through all your representatives there, the students and the campus ministries and others on faculty and staff, that we would be open, open to serve and open to the, um, to the foibles of others, Lord, and, our, and be open about our own um, so that people can come close to you. So bless our campus ministry and um, that ministry this fall. We thank you, Lord, for those who have already brought uh, non-perishable items and canned goods, Lord, um, for the Interfaith Food Bank. This is a desperately vulnerable time for a lot of families who are insecure about just food and finances. And we pray, Lord, that our ministry to them uh, would give them the comfort that and would come alongside the comfort you want to be for them, Lord Jesus. Lord God, you know our deepest needs. You know our deepest insecurities. You know how easy it is for us to put up our guard and to build up the walls and to try to be invincible and invulnerable. And we pray, Lord, that we would learn in the weeks ahead about what you really want for us, Lord how we can experience a deeper love from you and a deeper love to others, Lord. Bless us, Lord, during this time. We lift up to you as well, Lord, um, this day, um, our offering that will be uh, received shortly for those online and those at home and in whatever way, electronic or in person, Lord, take these little gifts that make us a bit vulnerable ourselves, Lord, in giving away things that we could keep and try to, uh, but um, that do better in your hands than ours. And are just a small token of what you've already provided for us, Lord. You abundantly give. Give us that kind of abundance mentality that we can share and truly serve others, Lord. And bless us, Lord, as we come to the Lord's table this morning again. Forgive us, Lord, for how we have um, walled ourselves off from you how we have tried to play the game of power, how we have looked for comfort in all the wrong places and not trusted you solely. 
how all our good we know comes from you. And Lord, we thank you that you are faithful and just and forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So bless us, Lord, this day um, and make this place a place where we truly are a community that displays your grace and mercy to this world. All this we pray in Jesus' name.